This season is sponsored by The Empowered Musician. The Empowered Musician, founded by Dr. Dana Lynn Varga, helps musicians to forge their own path with pride. Dana is a fierce advocate for singers and a leader in moving the classical vocal industry forward. Through the EM website, you can read Dana's articles, schedule one-on-one career coachings, book Dana for a speaking engagement, or sign up for her upcoming affordable six-class series called Everything You Need to Know About Entrepreneurship for Singers, which starts on April 10th. The Empowered Musician also has incredible artists on staff, offering voice lessons, musicianship lessons, and both dramatic coachings and repertoire diversification sessions for singers. Voice lessons are available for a wide range of ages, levels, and genres, and their highly sought-after teachers are accessible from anywhere in the world through virtual lessons as well as eventually in-person in multiple cities. Keep an eye out for additional professional development courses, such as acting for singers, body mapping for musicians, intro to jazz singing, and more. Be sure to check out www.theempoweredmusician.com. Welcome to my so-called Opera Light, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works, each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. We are so excited to share this interview with Erin Donahue. She is a voice pathologist and singing voice specialist. And actually, uh, we know her because she and I both went to the University of Florida. And when she was there, that's when she decided to go into speech pathology. She'll tell you more about it in the interview, but I met her like when she already knew that she was, she was in a voice performance degree and she wanted to be a voice specialist. And I always thought that was so cool. So um, it was great to talk with her today. Yeah. I'm so glad you connected us. I mean, after this season with all of the delays because of my vocal health and then my subsequent surgery and recovery, like this is a, an, an episode that I'm so, so excited that we're sharing Um, with information that I think is going to be really useful to all of our listeners. You know, I think it's going to be part of my mission going forward to just like break down the stigma around vocal health conversations, because this is information we all need to know and all need to be talking about. And this conversation with her is so wonderful and really just demystifies so much of it. And hopefully we'll encourage, encourage everyone, you know, like you end up saying at the end of this episode about, you know, the vocal agency that it gives you when you are in control and you know your vo- the status of your vocal health. And that's 100% true. 100% true. I think so. that it helped me and I certainly know some things about um, getting scoped and have some of that experience. And I think so. I think in it, but we also talk like from everything to like you know, more fancy stuff that need that, like your intense surgery that you had to have. And then just every, like, also just like, what does being scope mean? And what does it look like? So it really should cover a lot of different topics and a lot of different levels. So I, uh, I can't wait to share it with you guys. 
Yes. We hope you enjoy. And thank you for being with us for season three. This is yes. our final episode of season three. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Um, thanks but for it's sticking been... it out. Yeah. Thanks for sticking it out with us. And we just love you guys so much. And we're so happy to be sharing all these incredible conversations with you all the time. Yes, definitely. All right. Enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. We are recording. Uh, finally, we had some te- technical difficulties. I am so glad to welcome you, Erin, and tell us a little bit about you and your background. Sure. So I, my name's Erin Donahue. I'm from Florida. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, where I met Elise, not in Jacksonville, but in Gainesville. Um, yes. I've been singing since I was a child, and I went to a, a school of arts in high school for voice. And then I went to University of Florida. Originally, I was going to go for veterinary medicine. Uh, and when I got there, I was taking some classes and I really missed singing. So I went to the music department and I asked if anyone was available to take private students on. And I met Professor Ron Berichter there. And he started teaching me lessons on the side of my pre-vet classes. And it was only a couple sessions in that I decided I miss singing way too much. I want to do music. That's what I want to do. I miss it. And I love it. And as much as I love medicine, the idea of medicine and science and all of that, I just, I needed an outlet and I love it. And so I auditioned and he said at the time, I think you'd be great with Dr. Brenda Smith. And so I was put into her studio. I started in my voice major and I, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, being an 18 year old, 19 year old, what am I going to do with the rest of my life in this moment? I have to decide yeah. <laughs> so hard. And so I, um, I went and took some, I was taking some different courses and I actually went with Dr. Smith to the voice foundation in Philadelphia. So shout out to Philly, mm. um, because when I went to that, that conference, I real it was like light bulbs. I realized oh, I can put together medicine and science and singing and voice and all these things that I love all can be part of what I do every day. And so from that moment on, it was like my purpose in life, I had found it. And I knew that I wanted to do, you know, voice, voice rehabilitation, basically, and <clears throat> specifically to work with singers. I really knew I wanted to work with singers at the time. So I went back to school and I found out that I could do two degrees at once. I just had to apply for it and do this whole little process to get both going. So I was able to do a full voice performance degree. So I got to take my pedagogy classes and my, I got to do my recitals and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then also do speech pathology. So at this time I met Elise at University of Florida. Yes. Go Gator. Go Gators. (laughs) And I always um, remember that you always wanted to do it. Like you knew exactly. And I was a little bit behind you. So I always knew that you wanted to be a a speech pathologist is what I was saying at the the time, what I knew it to be. And I always thought it was so cool. Thanks. I is, it's really, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting combination of everything. And for me, I knew that, you know, I don't have the, not that I don't, not that, okay you need a lot of resiliency. You need mental strength to be a performer for a living. You really do. And I just thought about what do I, what do I want to do with my, you know, it's so hard when you're that young. I always tell my singers going off to school, I'm like, 
don't feel, don't put pressure on yourself to know right now that like your whole course in life, it's really hard to do that. And it's very stressful. Um, <laughs> but I didn't necessarily want to audition for a living or didn't want to live in certain places. And so I thought this is a good way I can, you know, work with singers. I can still sing on the side. I can do all of this and put it all together, you know? So, um, so I did that in undergrad. And then when I was interviewing for grad schools, it was really interesting going into it. This was 12 years ago now. Um, at the time when I went around to different grad schools, I, my question was, how do I become a singing voice specialist? You know, for lack of a better term, singing voice rehabilitation specialist. Like that's what I want to do as my primary focus. And there's really not a set um, generally recognized way to become a quote unquote, singing voice rehabilitation specialist. There's not a certification that you really <clears throat> do that's generally recognized within our profession as being focused in that area. They're working on it. Sounds like now we're kind of in the process, but at the time there was really nothing. And so when I went around to different schools, that was my question is what experience am I going to get in voice? And I think a good caveat for this is when you are a speech language pathologist, you do a graduate program where generally, for most graduate programs, you're only required to do one class in voice. That's it, just one class, because you're doing articulation, language, pediatrics, you're doing elderly patients, strokes, patients who have had strokes, you're doing swallowing, cognition, so memory, attention, all of those things we're learning how to do. And voice is just a teeny tiny part of that. And so at the time, when I talked to grad schools, I was looking for one that had access to a stroboscopic unit where I could do, learn stroboscopy and proximity to a voice center where I could do an internship, externship placement so I could get some experience because that was really the big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it's very similar right now. I see it as very similar to the classical voice track in life. You, you mentorship, you know, you find somebody who's mm -hmm. a mentor and a teacher and that's huge. And in singing voice rehabilitation, it's very similar, like finding a mentor is so important. So I ended up going to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio um, with Dr. Susan Brem, who is now the clinic director or the program director. At the time she was my, I worked as a TA under her and she's awesome. She had gone to University of Florida to get her PhD. So there was our connection there. And I did my, my degree there where they had, they put all their time and resources into their master's students. So I was able to do a thesis on, on, on singers, you know, which is what I wanted to do. And I was able to get an externship placement at the Blaine Block Institute for Voice Analysis and Rehabilitation, which is where I am now. We call it Babivar lovingly for short, B-B-I-V-A-R, and that's in Dayton, <laughs> Ohio. And then we also have Cincinnati, Ohio Professional Voice Center of Greater Cincinnati or Pro Voice Center. And I split my time between both. I did my externship there under Dr. Wendy Laborn, who is my mentor. She's awesome. Um, singing voice rehabilitation specialist extraordinaire. And I trained with her and then I stayed on for my fellowship and I stayed on as a clinician and I've been there about 10 years now. So working with singers, working with professional voice users, um, a lot of teachers, salespeople, people who work on the radio or TV, um, a lot of singers of all levels. So I have you know, elderly choral singers who have been singing their whole lives and it's their, you know, joy in life. Young singers who are just learning, professional voice users who are coming through town, um, all the spectrum of singers. And then 
gender affirmative voice is my other area that I really love. And I see a lot of that there. So Amazing. that's what I do day to day. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. So one of the things that, um, kind of gave us this impetus to do this episode with you was I had some vocal trouble earlier in the, like, well, pretty much all of 2020 <laughs> and then had to have surgery in July. And, but also like in that process for me, you know, kind of like not know it realized that I didn't know, like, who do I look for? How, you know, sort of like talking to colleagues, like, okay, have you seen an ENT? Who do you recommend? I think so many of us, because there's this stigma around, you know, well, if you have to see an ENT, you've done something to hurt yourself, your technique is bad, you're a bad singer, you know, so like, what are the things that people should look for when they're looking to see an ENT and a singing voice specialist in terms of like finding a good fit for them? I think it's great to have, if I want to say social networking or something where you have connections to other singers, because word of mouth and personal recommendations are really, really helpful because that way you get that experience from that person to say, Hey, I've seen this person. They're legit. They're great. You know, doing that I think is a really good resource. So that's one. Um, there are lots of voice centers in the country. So I often start out when I have a singer who's in, you know, I don't know the, the West part of the U S very well. So if I have somebody who's out there, I'm like, okay, well, let me start by looking it up and I'll find a voice center. And then I kind of, I'll kind of dig it. What's their background and things like that a little bit for in general, if you look for a voice center, that's pretty, a pretty good place to start with otolaryngologists. So otolaryngologist, ENT doctor, ear, nose, throat doctor. Those are the people who will do medical management of voice type issues. So if a medicine is needed, if surgery is needed, those are the ones who will do that. And for those, it's a little bit easier to look for somebody who is specialized in voice. Um, if they're employed by a voice center, that's a good starting place. But also if they are a laryngologist, that's huge. So ENTs have a fellowship program that they can go to where they, it's a laryngology fellowship. All they do is treatment of voice. And so if they are a laryngolo uh, laryngologist, um, laryngology trained fellow, that's a really good indicator that that person is good and you can trust them with your voice um, because they have special training in that area. Uh, for speech pathologists, it's a little different. We all kind of use different terms depending on where they're located and what their background is and what their clinics, what they traditionally call the people in that position. But really you're looking for somebody who's a speech language pathologist who's specialized in voice. And how we do that varies. Um, having the externship in voice is a, is a starting place. Having a fellowship in voice is another um, piece of it. So somebody who had a fellowship at a voice center, um, somebody who's working at a voice center currently, if it says that they work with their singers, then it's pretty, pretty safe to say that they're, you know, a singing voice person. Most of them have a singing voice degree, you know, either before or during their, their course of training. Um, when I first started 12 years ago, I had a bachelor's in voice, which made me stand out at the time, but now there are plenty of like DMA level singers who are singing voice rehabilitation people employed by voice wow. centers. So, um, looking at their backgrounds, good, but also word of mouth is great too. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk about going to the ENT before you actually are in trouble in some way, or <laughs> you feel yeah. like you might be in trouble. So I know that you've mentioned, you recommend that we, you know, that singers like take a little bit of initiative there. Could you talk about like what that 
means and what that looks like and why it's important? Definitely. So baseline wellness examination is what I kind of call it or what a lot of us call it. So basically this, a great way to think of this is to relate singers to athletes because you're a vocal athlete, you're using your voice at a very high level, which includes muscles and ligaments and cartilages and coordination of, you know, your breath and your sound and all these things happening physically with athletes. It is just a given that they're going to have an injury along the way. It's kind of a, you know, it's a thing. They get physicals from the time you start any athletics program, you go and get a physical before you're cleared to play. They have PTs and athletic trainers and massage therapists and everything on, you know, professional level teams that are available to them because it is a given that they're going to have injury with singers. We don't look at it the same way, but we really are starting to, um, with singers, oftentimes it's not something you, you did that caused a problem. It's something that just happened. You got sick and you had to sing through it. You know, you had something at baseline and it just got worse over time, something like that. So it's really good to know what your baseline looks like when you're feeling normal, sounding normal, what do your vocal folds look like? Because everybody's different. So it's pretty common for me to see somebody for a, that's asymptomatic, no problems, wellness exam that has something that's not quote unquote normal, you know, at their baseline, they might have a prominent vessel that we just need to kind of keep an eye out for, or they might have lesions or a lesion at their baseline, but they're still able to do what they need to do every day. And so if it's something where it's not impacting you functionally, we don't necessarily need to treat it. I always tell patients, we want to look at your pit pictures, your strobe pictures of your vocal folds through the lens of function. How are you doing functionally? Because that's going to be what causes our decision-making process, mm-hmm. not what we're seeing. It's not like you have X thus Y. Um, right, right. So you want to know how you look at your baseline. That way, if you run into right. problems down the road, you can say, oh, that, that's always been there or that's something new, you know, so you kind of know for yourself. Right. Right. Well, I mean, to, to put that right into context, I mean, that's essentially what happened with me is like, I had never gone for a baseline. I had a, a lesion or they, they keep telling me a benign mass is the use, the term that they've been using at my practice. And it's probably been there my whole life. I had figured my voice had figured out how to sing around it, but it was functionally not working because I've never been able to really access the very top of my voice well or consistently. So like the, um, the muscles that bring the very top of the folds together are very weak. So I'm doing a lot of like isometrics now to help, but that, that mass had hemorrhaged and caused like catastrophic problems with my singing and, and speaking voice, you know, but if I had gone and seen it and known it was there, you know, I probably would have avoided a very stressful time this summer. (laughs) You just know what to look out for. And it gives you individual recommendations for proactively caring for your voice, like knowing prominent vessel kind of changes how you, it can change some decision-making of what you do day to day with your voice. Mm -hmm. Um, Reflux is a great example. So when you have Oftentimes people will come in for a wellness exam, no, no symptoms, no complaints, but then we look and see they have signs of reflux in the back of their throat. Um, and with reflux, we call it laryngopharyngeal reflux or LPR, which is reflux that's coming up to the level of your throat, acid reflux that's coming up to the level of your throat. Um, and the symptoms of that manifest very differently from the classic GERD reflux, gastroesophageal mm-hmm. reflux disease, which would be uh, heartburn, things like that. 
in the throat, it's more lump in the throat feeling or feeling like there's mucus there, like this phantom mucus that feels like it's there. And whenever you clear and cough, nothing comes up. So that is often a sign of reflux that people don't realize that that's what's actually going on. They think it's just, you know, post-nasal drip. And then we look and say, oh, you have reflux. And then they treat it differently um, and they know what to look out for. So it's important from that perspective as well. Right. right. In my, in my scopes, they found a little bit of that inflammation, thought it was silent reflux, put me on reflux meds. And months later, that inflammation is still there. So they did some additional testing and I found out that I have a mild wheat allergy, which like manifests the same way. Um, so it's yeah. amazing. I'm just like, okay, well, I probably would have lived with this wheat allergy and had no idea. Yes. <laughs> and right. it's good to know, because then even if it's <clears> something <throat> where you're like, I'm it's the holidays. I don't have a gig right now. I'm going to eat this cookie, you know, versus like, I'm in the middle of of a show. Like I need to be really strict about it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it helps your decision-making from that perspective too. Yeah, absolutely. I was just on a gig and I was like, I'm gluten-free this week (laughs) (laughs) just to make sure everything goes smoothly. (laughs) Now those baseline exams, are they frequently covered by health insurance? So I always say with insurance, check with your individual insurance because it is so variable and it can vary day to day. Or (laughs) it seems like sometimes insurance is just a funny thing. Um, Generally, I've had good luck with with insurance covering it. If you're a singer, you use your voice for your livelihood. It is very important that we make sure that we are maintaining that because if you are not able to do what you need to do on a daily basis, then that's lost wages. You know, that's it's lost income. Like that's a big thing for you. So I think from that perspective, it is important to get that baseline and it is an examination. So generally I get good, good um, coverage with it. And I will also say that it varies state to state to and voice center to voice center is a, is a physician doing it is a speech language pathologist doing it. How are they billing it? It's a little bit different. So mm-hmm. just checking first is, is a good first step. Like you can call whatever clinic you're talking to, talk to their billing department, talk to your insurance and just make sure. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. So, so you can call and and they'll help you figure out. They'll usually help you with it. And then you can always talk to your insurance provider too. A lot of times, you know, billing can tell you for the clinic, they can tell you how they bill these things, but, and they can do like authorizations and things like that on your insurance but usually your insurance won't tell them your personal benefits. So they won't say, oh, Eliso's XYZ for this exam. But if you call your insurance and say, hey, for this code, this procedure, sometimes you can check online too at this clinic, what's my cost on it? And they'll tell you, they'll give okay. you that information. It's a little bit of digging, but usually yeah, yeah. the answers are there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's another reason that we wanted to do the episode was just to hear how to do it because sometimes you don't want to ask you're a little mm-hmm. bit scared to ask or and you don't know if you can ask and who to ask so mm-hmm. i think we we covered a lot of that which is great um yeah it's amazing so, thank you yeah. um you know being singers and not particularly usually in a situation where we have insurance or the money to feel like we have the money to like go to the clinic some people just have to make the choice to wait until they see a red flag but i think some of us don't know what those red flags look like mm-hmm Yeah. And I think the important thing is, you know, your voice better than anybody else. That's the number one thing. So if you feel like something's not right, even if in your lessons, your teacher's saying, I don't really hear anything. Or if you feel like something's off, it's worth getting checked out. Usually you have that little voice that's like, "Mm, 
get it checked out if you feel that. Mm -hmm. It's better to be proactive and catch something early. And I will say if it makes people feel a lot better, which it does me as a singer, there are very few things that we can't fix. We can fix things. Like we can treat things if we know what we're dealing with. And so it's better to know than to not know. It's pretty common with singers that they'll come in and say, I feel like I'm working harder to get the same sound. So that's a great, or that's a great thing that they notice that. Usually they'll say, my voice teacher is not noticing it. Other people aren't noticing it, but I am feeling a difference. That's definitely worth, that's kind of, something that seems minimal, but it's definitely worth getting checked out if you notice something like that. Larger red flags that you're going to notice potentially are um, hoarseness. So hoarseness that persists beyond 10 to 14 days with illness would be considered prolonged hoarseness. It's normal to get, it's normal when you're sick to have hoarseness. Vocal folds swell when you're sick, you're coughing, they smack together, you know, it's really, really important that you don't push through if you don't absolutely have to, and you rest your voice during periods like that. Super important. We all have this show must go on mentality and really need to care for her, ourselves um, mentally and physically. I love, you know, I'm sad that it happened, but I also love that Simone Biles kind of set this up for performers around the world to show them that like, if your mental health is, you know, your mental health is more important, your physical health is more important than anything. And so the show must not always go on for performers. I think that's super important to drive home at this moment. Right. And I'll probably say it again along the way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you're sick, take a break. But if your hoarseness persists, you know, get it checked out. Vocal fatigue, that's anything outside of normal. And some people say, what's fatigue exactly? And it's variable. It can be a feeling of achiness or feeling just tired vocally. A lot of times you'll feel like, I see this a lot with educators where they're like, I teach during the day and I go home and I can't read to my kids at night. My voice is way too tired. I just can't, can't do any more. I'm already giving it all. Um, mm -hmm. If you find that you are just not able to do what you need to do, if you can't get through a lesson because your voice is tired, you can't get through a rehearsal because your voice is tired, that's abnormal vocal fatigue. If you are in the middle of you know, tech week for something and you're teaching all day and you're singing to your kids at night and you're doing all of this and you're fatigued, you're running a marathon with your voice. You're going to be fatigued. You need to rest. It's your body telling you, hey, take a break. Um, but anything outside of you know normal for you would be abnormal fatigue. Uh, delayed onsets are a big one with singers. Another thing is holes in your range. So if your range is usually, but you get this little squeak at the end with a hole in there, that's abnormal. So I'll see that a lot um, with singers. And sometimes they're able to warm up through that area, but it's still real weak through that area. That would be something that I would check out. You notice, let's see, what are other ones? Feeling like there's something there, lots of throat clearing and coughing outside of normal, like throat clearing tons during your day, that would be abnormal. Pain in the throat, pain with singing is a big one. You should never feel pain um, with voice use. And if you do, most people think, oh, it's a polyp must hurt or a nodule must hurt, but really the vocal folds don't have pain receptors. So it's the irritation in the back part of your throat or the muscles that are engaging to compensate that are actually causing the pain, but pain is abnormal. And then anything for you that's, that's different than normal. I've had singers come in and say, I, I have lost my pianissimo D6. And then I say, so you had one to begin with, first of all, <laughs> because if you did, then that's abnormal for you. 
I don't have one, you know, I never had one. So that would not be a complaint that I would have, but anything that's outside of your norm is a red flag. Right, right. This season we're sponsored by Conduit Studios. Marcel, how's the technology going for you? Uh, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am stressed out about tech on top of everything else in this fucking pandemic. Agreed. Conduit Studios is a production company that specializes in high-quality video and audio capture for creatives, run by musicians who understand your artistic needs. They offer high-quality, dynamic, multi-camera performance capture, which is perfect for concerts, auditions, live streams, and more. They are in an affordable and accessible way to elevate your digital presence. You can enjoy a low-stress, relaxed environment to record in so you can focus on your art, and they'll take care of the rest. Conduit Studios is based in Southern California, but they service many clients nationwide. Visit conduitstudiosmedia.com for more information or to schedule a session. You do, you do, um, and I do frequently be able to tell, like, immediately if my voice is different that day, and I'll just, like, keep track of it for a couple of days, and usually... Mm-hmm. Usually it goes away, but I walk around the house going, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> and just walk around the house all day saying hello. <laughs> Josh immediately knows like nothing. He's like, your voice sounds fine. I'm like, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. I love it. Oh, oh. I've had a voice issue in the past. This is kind of a weird story, but I had a virus, an upper respiratory. This is like a horror story for a performer. Um, I had a virus as an upper respiratory type infection. It was like a bronchitis. It manifested as like a bronchitis, which I never get. It was very weird. And I was working, I had an intern at the time and I was working with a tenor and I was just getting over my illness. I was back in the clinic. This is years ago. And I was doing vocal function exercises with him and I was going to do an E3 and I went to model it. And I was like, (sighs) it was like nothing came out. And I thought, this is really odd. This is not normal for me. And by the next day, voice was gone. Like it was terrible. And um, I did a strobe on myself and I had a cord that was out. I got, had a paralysis mm-hmm. that was caused by a virus. It was horrible. But that hello story reminds me that I, every day I would wake up, I, would, I did all my voice exercises religiously. I did the treatment I needed to do. I was like, I know what I need to do. This is going to be fine. Trying to tell myself, because if I'm not treating voices, then I want to sing. Those are the two things I want to do, which both involve voice. And if I don't have a voice, I, who am I, right? Like my voice is me. Mm-hmm. And my husband laughs now because every day, well now in retrospect, every day I'd wake up and I'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like trying to do something to get your voice out and nothing would come out. And I'd like burst into tears and we'd like go to the store and I'd like start crying. And he's like, are you okay? He's like, are you okay? <laughs> like every day I'm testing my voice. It was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah, but it, mm-hmm. I have better perspective now of that type of issue and yeah. it, it resolved. I'm good. Um, but it's so scary. It's so scary for a performer. Like that is your livelihood. That is who you are and not just your livelihood, but it's your outlet. It's your stress outlet. It's your creative outlet. It's so much. And to not have that. Right. It's horrible. Right. Well, right. and, and for me, like the, I think the, the biggest mental challenge I had leading up to the discovery of it was just the, you know, this sense that I had no control over my body because I, there would be things that I knew I could ask my voice to do and it just wouldn't respond. Mm -hmm. And to feel like the, the, the 
the instrument that gives me probably the most nuanced uh, ability to express myself to people was suddenly no longer <clears throat> in my control was so terrifying. Oh, yeah, that was so, it felt so bad. It felt terrible. I was just like, I feel, feel like I'd lost my vocal agency. Right. It was really scary. You know, therapy helped me through that. What? <laughs> but yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And it's so important to note that the mind body connection in general with everything. I always tell my patients, Eastern medicine knows so much more in this area than Western medicine does, but we're starting to, we're starting to recognize it and acknowledge it. Um, mm -hmm. But for singers, just maintaining mental wellness, resiliency, you know, toughness, all of that is so important. And when one of these issues comes up, it's even more important because it's even more important to recognize that <clears throat> it's a huge part of this and to, and to take care of themselves mentally, mentally and physically, just because right. it, it impacts so much. And if something's happening mentally for a singer, it's going to manifest physically and it's going to manifest in your voice because that's what you use every day. It never fails. Um, right. So right. that's so important. Right. Right. Well, and like, and like this, the side of the, the opposite side of that resilience coin that I, that I was, that I've learned about in this process was like, I had the resilience and the mental toughness, but I hadn't really truly cultivated the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so when things weren't going well, I was like pushing my way through me. Like I can figure this out. This is a technical thing. I can, I can do the mental gymnastics and be mentally tough and, and, you know, get through this rough patch and it'll be fine right. after Easter. It'll be fine after whatever, instead of being able to relax that toughness and go, I'm in a place where I need to ask for help. Yes. And I need to be okay with asking for help. Yes. <laughs> loving kindness, right. And mindfulness meditation, it's loving kindness for yourself and, and for others, but that's so important. And that's why more and more in my practice, I'm starting to talk with performers about what is your general routine for taking care of yourself mentally? Are you a mindfulness meditation person? Are you a, you know, what are you doing where you're having some time for yourself where you're, you're kind of, I can't think of the words of how I want to use it, but where you're caring for yourself mentally, basically. We're just in such a go, go, go world. And then the pandemic puts a whole new layer on top of all of this. Mm -hmm. And even more, I was telling somebody the other day that part of my practice is manual therapy. So massage, and I do a lot with myofascial release. I love it. I think if I could do just myofascial release and massage on people all day long, I would be happy with that. I love it. Um, I've never had that done, but I love Lorena oh, massage. So great. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so great. And it's so, it's just so helpful. And, um, and we don't take the time to do that for ourselves as singers. Um, but we should. And, um, and where was I going with that? So I found more and more that since the pandemic, I have integrated so much more with mindfulness and massage and things mm. like this, just because everybody, whether they're a performer or not a performer is in a higher state of, there's a lot more anxiety. There's a lot more stress. Um, there's a lot more going on mentally that's negatively impacting their voice. Not even to mention, you know, teaching through masks or, you know, teaching through right. zoom or whatever it is like, that's put a right. huge strain on people. Right. And I've used that more and more with people, but also for singers, not having the opportunities to perform, everything getting canceled and then not mm -hmm. knowing when that's going to come back. And then when it does come back, having to jump right into it and not being conditioned anymore 
has been a huge strain on people. And so I think the loving kindness for yourself is so important in these moments and, right. yeah. and knowing that it's okay to not be at a hundred percent, hundred percent has happened and give right. yourself time. Right. Right. There, right. There's also like a, I think a fear of going into surgery and you mentioned a lot of things just now that are not surgery. And I think sometimes like we've, we mentioned this, I think in how, as we've been talking about people being like scared, like, Oh, I don't want to know. So how often do you actually have to go into surgery really? And there, there, there seems to be a lot of things you can do before that actually has to occur. That's so true. And I think it's also important to note that it's not something where we look at it and say, this is what we have to do. We should, if you're a good, good clinician, good team, the individual is part of that team and your opinions matter and your thoughts on it matter and your timeline matters and all of that matters. So if I have, there have been several times where I've had a singer come in and they have a lesion that looks like it may need to be managed surgically. And they say, I absolutely do not want surgery. I'm not in that place right now. And that doesn't preclude them from treatment. We can still do, we can do therapy. We can do conservative measures um, until we find that we're plateauing. And then we have a decision to make, which is, okay, we've plateaued. Are you at a place where you're happy with your voice? Are you able to do what you need to do? Are you in a good place? And if not, then what are our options? And one of those may be surgery. And I've had a lot of singers who go through that process and we plateau and we're in a good place, but we're not in a good enough place. But by that point, they've kind of come to the conclusion that they're like, I found a good time frame for it. I I've digested what this means from a rehabilitation standpoint and a time standpoint, and I'm ready to ready to take that on now. So I think that's important to know. Yeah. Right. Super important to know. I mean, my, what I learned in my situation was that like, <clears throat> had I come and gotten a baseline or even seen them before the mass hemorrhaged, I could have done exactly that. Like we could have continued to do some therapeutic work and see if we could strengthen the parts of the voice, you know, and rest. But because I had hemorrhage, there was at that point, there wasn't an option. Like I had to go. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, because hemorrhages, we, we pull people out of things. Like there's some things that you can sing through, but a hemorrhage, we don't want you singing through. You want to know that it's there and you want to completely rest until it heals, not yeah. make it yep. worse. Yep. <laughs> That's why these huge things that have been shut down because of hemorrhages. Like you think of the, the pop stars that have canceled like multi-million dollar performances because of hemorrhage. Like you can't sing through that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Or you don't want to, you don't want to sing through that. So one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, my, uh, speech there, like singing voice specialist, and also my, she was my speech therapist and is my singing therapist. She, uh, one of the things that she had said to me that I thought was really interesting was that, um, most vocal injury she's like if it's a thing that you have it's because of some way that you're using your voice she's like rarely it's because of the singing technique because you're very mindful of your singing technique Mm -hmm. and often it's like it starts in your speaking voice Mm -hmm. and so like we've done a ton of speaking voice work and I'm like oh my god like why has no one ever talked to me about my speaking Ah, voice it's so (laughs) true and there's also a misconception that um it needs to be like Julia Child voice, like this disengaged, big, you know, that's not like, that's not what you need to do. So don't be scared of that. It's <laughs> really true. How common that perception is. Yes, it is. It doesn't need to be that. It just needs to be efficient. <clears throat> it needs to be efficient. 
And usually with your singing voice, if you're at a level where you're at, you're efficient with your singing voice or else you would not be able to get through what you're getting through. But right. then we go to speak and we're like, all oh, back in this. And we're just like, we totally forget that we need to use our air to make sound. And like, so really thinking <laughs> about, you know, using your breath, um, everything should feel relaxed when you're speaking. You shouldn't feel strain or tension back in your throat. Um, there's also, this is a whole other interesting issue. This like glottal fry thing. Vo vocal fry, glottal fry, people speaking in like this kind of voice. And it is a, it is like a linguistic marker at this point of a certain um, age group almost um, mm -hmm. where it's just normal. And we don't even notice that we hear it most for the most part. Um, a lot of times I'll tell people you'll feel it before you even hear it sometimes because you feel that fatigue. But really for singers, borrowing a little bit of your singing technique into your speaking technique is really, really important. Having a Seeing a, if, if you notice that you're in glottal fry and you can't get out of it, or you notice that your speaking voice is making you tired or things like that, absolutely worth seeing a speech pathologist voice center, singing voice person um, to help train you on how to do that. Because so you don't want to be in a place where I can only speak in this voice. I can't get out of it. You know, you want to be able to modify as needed. You know, I'm not going to say that you're always going to be speaking in the most perfectly efficient voice as, as possible. I hope that for everyone, but it's not always the case. But at least knowing some tools to get your voice into an efficient place is really, really important. Yeah, my, my therapist said like, you know, goal, the goal for yourself should be to like, you want to be there like 70 to 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. You know, in, in an efficient spot, she's like, you're going to vocal fry, you're going to whatever you know, but for the most part, most of the day you, you want to be trying to be on the breath and connect your vowels mm -hmm. and your consonants and not right. glottal stop your yeah. vowel, vowel onsets and things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It takes so much more. And it's, it's always interesting when I'm working <clears throat> with a singer and we focus so much of our time on speaking voice, but it's pretty common that we do that because whenever we get to singing, they're doing a lot of good things. It's just, they're not carrying it over into all their voice use. Right. right. But even, even the speaking work that we did, I immediately saw the results that it did to my singing voice then mm -hmm. because I was carrying speaking habits over into my singing that I wasn't really aware of. Yes. I sing and I sing in a lot of, I do a lot of church singing. And so we do a lot of chanting and mm -hmm. all of a sudden I was like, Oh, chant is so much easier because I can connect all my vowels and my consonants and I'm not <laughs> chewing on everything. Yes. <laughs> Chanting's right. great. Chanting your text, chanting your like day-to-day -day sentences. I have people chant everything. My favorite is I have people write lists of things that they say every day. And I had this woman once who was, mm, what do you change the password to yesterday or today or whatever it was? She was like, I say that every day. What do you change the password to? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, it it's can be so functional true. for you. For me, yeah. functional is mm, no, you can't have chocolate right now. <laughs> Wherever you're at in your life, there is a chant for you. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh my goodness. Mm, no, you cannot be on the couch while I'm eating my lunch, puppy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, my goodness. Sure. I do uh, want to ask, I do want to talk a little bit about if you could explain like what being scoped is and like, does it hurt? I mean, I know the answer, but like, let's, yeah. let's dig into that. Let's yeah. make sure we cover that too. There's two ways we can do a scope. And I think another thing that most people don't know is um, there are different ways. There's sometimes you can scope the same way 
But what singers want, what, what's important is we need stroboscopic images. So the vocal folds vibrate too fast for the naked eye to see. So if it's a strobe versus just a scope, the strobe light connects to a little device you hold against your neck and it tells the camera how fast your vocal folds are vibrating. So it can flash a strobe light at a rate that's a little bit slower than your vocal folds. This is like the science of it. And if you think about a strobe light and you're moving in it, you can see little bits, but you can't see a fluid movement. So it creates that image with your vocal folds and pieces it together. So we create a simulated slow motion image of your vocal folds vibrating. So if they do a scope, that's just a steady light source, they can see, you know, they can see a lot. They can see if there's any masses or lesions or anything like that, but they can't see movement, like little movements of the vocal folds vibrating, the strobe light helps us see that. Okay. So even if, so a scope is good to get, a lot of times the ENTs will do a scope. Laryngologists will sometimes do a strobe. The scope is still good to get to see, are there any lesions or anything? But really, if we're looking at little functional things, a strobe light is very important to have on the scope. Um, So sometimes they'll call it a scope or a strobe. So sometimes it's good to clarify, like, can you see the can you see the movement of the vocal folds in vibration? Um, Mm. There are two ways to do it, through the nose or through the mouth. Every clinic's different on what they prefer to use. The one through the nose, the benefits of that are that, um, and none of them hurt, by the way, none of them hurt. They're all actually very quick. They're all under like five minutes. They're very, very fast. Um, The one through the nose goes in through your nose and then hangs out above your vocal folds. The nice thing about that one is we can watch the vocal folds in action as you're actually doing things. So if I want to watch you singing, I'm going to put a scope through your nose, excuse me, so I can see vocal folds vibrate as you are changing pitch and doing different sound, different vowels and different articulation type things. Like I can actually watch what's happening at the laryngeal level for all of that. So that would be called a flexible scope, flexible, um, It's a flexible laryngoscopy. So it goes through your nose and then looks down at your vocal folds. The other way that I use in clinic a lot is a rigid scope. And that's just a metal rod. It looks really scary, but only a little bit goes in your mouth. And you open up your mouth and stick out your tongue. And we put a camera in your mouth and look down at your vocal folds from above uh, with the camera over your tongue. And that one, we can only have you say E during it, but you do can do high pitches and low pitches and we can get really good close up pictures with that one. And that's why I like the rigid scope, um, but I like the flex scope too. So really either one's fine. They're kind of interchangeable to some degree, um, but you may get one or the <clears> other. If people are, we usually don't have to numb people or anything like that. If people are insanely gaggy, which some people are, um, the one through the nose is sometimes easier than the one through except, the mouth. Except, except that when, when so I did both my first appointment okay, and yeah. as soon as the camera hit the back of my, like the back of my sinus, it triggered my gag reflex. <laughs> it does that. With so me. they have, they have to do the little numbing spray for me, which is really not that bad. And, and it just, um, I had a nurse that was amazing who was just like, oh yeah, when your tongue goes numb, it's going to feel like you can't breathe Yes, because you won't be able to sp- feel like you won't be able to feel yourself swallow. So she's like, just breathe through your mouth mm-hmm. and like, just take your time. You will actually be able to breathe. It's just gonna, you're gonna have to like tell your brain that you can breathe, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> I was so glad you told That's so me that. true. It's good for people to tell you that because it's scary if you get numb. It's really scary. <laughs> I always right. tell people, so we do spray the nose whenever we do the flex <clears throat> through the nose. Um, but sometimes we'll spray in the back of the throat to numb. 
And it's like, if you've ever had Novocaine at the dentist where like your lip feels huge or your tongue feels huge, it feels like that in your throat. So it does feel like you can't swallow. So some people get panicky over it. So it is really important to just breathe in through your nose, out through pursed lips and that'll, or in and out through pursed lips and that'll kind of calm everything down. And it doesn't last very long. So don't let that, you know, dissuade you from going and getting an exam because they're actually pretty easy. And usually there's one that's, easier for you than the other, or, you know, they yeah. can, can work together to work through it. I've had a lot of people who are very anxious about it and we just kind of talk through the process and yeah. Yeah. usually by the end, the, the most common quote I hear at the end of the exam is that's it. That's all it was. I really worked that up in my head. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Of course. So I, the nurse, my first time she was like, would you like me to hold your hand? Like they talked me through the whole thing. Cause I was like, I've never done this before. I'm really scared. They talked me through the whole thing. She held my hand, but now I've had like six scopes in the last six months and so i'm like the first one was really the worst because i didn't know and then once i knew like now i'm just like okay go ahead <laughs> yeah yeah no that's great that's great information um i had one last question mm-hmm. you had mentioned a little bit about how it's cha- the industry is changing and mm-hmm. there's just more information and there's a little bit like of a work against like stigmas and stuff. Why is that happening? And how is that progressing? Like, like who is responsible for those changes? I feel like that's such a big question. I know. Because I think it's happening socially, like in general, across the realm of everything. Like the example I use that has nothing to do with voice, but some is the postpartum conversation of like what really happens because I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I had my older daughter and I mentally really struggled. And I'm like, why has nobody told me about this? Like, what the heck? This is crazy. Like it, it is, it was really challenging for me. And now I found that just in those four years, since I had her, people are much more upfront about things. And they're like, this is, you know, this is kind of the norm. This is what, you know, so I feel like it's that way with singing too. And I don't know if part of it is social media and technology and people are much more upfront with everything, but I, I love that there's an, a movement towards being open with things. I, um, I think there are some prominent singers who have been more open about what's happening with them. And then that led the way for people who, you know, maybe only had a couple contracts under their belt versus somebody who's like singing at the Met regularly. You know, I think it's easier when somebody at that level comes out and says, Hey, this is, this is what's happened to me. This is, you know, the norm. I think that that's made a big difference. Uh, but just in the past even like five years, but definitely in the past 10 years, people are much more open about these things. And I think it's good that athletes are, they're very open about like, Hey, this person's on the bench this week because they're on injury. I don't, I know nothing about sports, so I don't know what it's called. There's like some name for it where they're like on injured list or something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know either. (laughs) Like sports ball, you know, when they play sports ball, they say that, um, they're injured and they're open about it. So I think with singers, they're becoming more open about these things too. And it's good to know that it's just part of life. Like it's something that happens and that's okay. Like, it doesn't mean that you are any less or you're not capable or you're not talented, you know, or you don't have good training just because that happens. Right. Right. I mean, I think so much of that narrative is in the pedagogy classes that we get in university because it's kind of baked into some of the textbooks that are still really popularly used. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like the classism that exists 
around different vocal styles being harmful. And this is like, it's not true. It's just not true. But I will say this, like I've been very open about my journey on my social media and I, I was amazed, but also heartbroken by the number of singers who reached out to me to say like, Oh my God, you're so brave for sharing your story. I had X, Y, or Z in the last few years. And like, I mean, so many people reached out to me to tell me their story. And I was like, one, I'm so grateful that you're sharing that with me because it's helping me feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, to know that this is more common than any of us realize. Um, But also like how heartbreaking it is that you went through this alone because we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's so great that you're sharing your story on a platform like this, because Mm -hmm. it does open the door for so many other people. And they say, well, if this person's been through this, then I, you know, I don't feel as bad about what's happening with me. And so right, that's right. great. And we need a lot more of that in general. We just need to be more upfront with things and. Right. You know. And I hear a lot of like going to, you know, get your basic preliminary exam is like giving you more vocal agency, like more of agency over yourself and less of a, um, that situation where like, you feel like your voice teacher will fix your voice for you. And if that voice teacher can't figure it out, then the next voice teacher will figure it out. And you have a responsibility that we don't talk about enough that you have a privilege too, of, of having agency over your own voice, you know? Right. Well, and then it makes it, I think, honestly, I'll say this for myself. Like it makes it so much, has made it so much easier for me, even in the past few months to, to make the call when I've had you to say like, you know what, I really shouldn't take this gig. Because I'm going to, I know I'm going to be tired because I have something else before it. Or on this contract, we had, we had no dark day before the opening of the opera. So like, it was easier to go, you know what, I need to mark these two runs so that I can sing full out at the dress rehearsal and not feel like guilty about it. Or like, I'm not, you know, just be like, I need to do that for myself so that I am healthy for the show. I'm clapping. (laughs) So important. And we need to learn that younger, um, as a singer, whenever you're starting out, a lot of times I get these singers who come in and they're really talented and they're in a program where they're shining and they're doing great and they get pushed and pushed and pushed to do more and more and more. And they don't feel comfortable or don't feel like they can, um, say no, you know, or say, I need to mark this, you know, they're doing like their high school show and they're screaming and yelling at every single, like in this very emotional scene. And they're doing it repeatedly instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to mark during these next couple of rehearsals. So being, feeling safe and feeling a, like you were able to advocate for yourself is so important. And vocal pacing is so important. What you were talking about, you know, you can only do so much vocally. You can only do so much. This isn't piano where we can sit and play for six hours. And, you know, of course if you play for six hours, your hands are going to get tired, but you can't sing. You only have so much in you to sing before you start yeah. fatiguing yourself out. So yeah. being really mindful of when you're using your voice and where and what your priorities are is so important. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. It's such a great conversation. Thank yes, you so much. Thank for you coming so on. much. Yeah. It was so great so to fun. talk with you and so good to see you. You too. <laughs> Yay. And we, we will die. We will put, we will, yeah, we'll put all of your information in the show notes that if anyone is in your area and needs to connect yeah. with a singing voice specialist, they can reach you. Definitely. And I'm happy if people, I always tell people, even if you're in a different place, technology exists, you're feel welcome to email me if you have any um, questions or you need me to find somebody in your area or if I have any recommendations or anything like that I'm happy to help in whatever way I can and 
And I love this population. So <laughs> thank you so thank much. You. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. This podcast was created for all the opera singers out there getting shit done. So keep on keeping on people. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review it to help spread the word. You can also support the podcast through Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, merchandise discounts, workshops and resources, and ad-free episodes. And you did hear that right, people. We now have merch. Find out more about all of this at mysocalledoperalife.com. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us for our weekly coffee chats every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live at MSCOL Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk and edited by Joshua Wise. Questions or comments? Email us at info at mysocalledoperalife.com. We are glad to have the Sparkle Twins back as sponsors for Season 3. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York. Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations, with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer. And no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com shop.